welcome to the Top Order Podcast, 20th of September here. We're just about two weeks away from the start of Cricket World Cup 23, all kicking off in Ahmedabad on the 5th of October, England versus New Zealand. We've got a two-part preview show coming up for you. Part one is where we massively exceed the 45 minutes we've set, talking about our four premier teams for the tournament. That's one each from us, not the four that we think are going to make the finals, I should hasten to add. And then coming up in part two, we're going to talk about the other runners and riders and then also our predictions for the tournament as well but this is part one of the top order podcast cricket world cup 23 preview stay tuned well boys plenty of planning over the course of this week in the slack channel for cricket world cup 23 um india have i think actually announced the dates and the the (laughs) venues and stuff now haven't we so i think the players know where they're at least where their first sortie is maybe it's a sort of a mystery tour after game one um but joking aside venues are all out of there there's a lot of travel for the teams and um led to believe there isn't any business class on domestic um airlines in india so um they'll be going around the country and i think england for example play i think at nine different venues through the course of the tournament or something like that so lots and lots of internal flights which might not be good for the taller fast bowlers and their dodgy backs but we're going to talk through the teams that we've chosen to really preview in terms of the tournament and uh no surprises we've gone broadly down uh yeah our sort of uh, patriot lines haven't we um with obviously one one exception uh if you can count the people in the podcast um so uh, <laughs> but i think we we've got to we've got to kick off with um with I think New Zealand haven't we we've we got to start with the uh, the country of this podcast's uh, birth and, and conception and that's New Zealand some good news for them Kane Williamson talking up his fitness recovery uh, listened to him on the Cricket Collected this morning he seemed quite positive that his rehab had been going really really well and it expects to play a pretty full part in the tournament some other injury worries though uh, after the back of that England series which I'm sure we'll get into but where do you want to start with with New Zealand Stu? Uh, I mean honestly to start I think uh, I'm just excited for this tournament and the fact that um, our, our podcast kind of started off the back of the last 2019 World Cup so it's sort of feels like it's coming full circle to be discussing all of this stuff again hopefully not well, let's just spend a minute on that final no, shall let's, we? no let's okay. not let's quickly quickly move on I, I think the um sort of the the way we're going to kind of structure this is at the start to sort of look at uh the reasons why we think you know the positives i guess and why we think our side is going to be up there be up there right in the the thick end of things uh and pretty much for new zealand i think the fact is that we're always there like it, I, honestly it is as simple as that if you look back in the history of the cricket world cup you have to look back to 2003 but to find a time that new zealand didn't make the semi-finals it, it does go back that a long long way and even that 2003 tournament it's because new zealand decided not to go to kenya lost the four you know forfeited the game lost the points for the super six they made it in, tw- in 1999. So, like, this is a long history now of New Zealand making the semi-finals. And actually, even though, you know, the way New Zealand... Every single World Cup, sometimes, we look at the lineup and we go, OK, maybe they're not in the top four sides, but somehow the sum of all the parts seems to add up to a semi-final spot. Yeah, I mean, playing long-form tournaments is something that New Zealand has been good at over over the past and the 
that's why I'm excited about our chances for this World Cup because I look down that lineup. While it may not be the strongest lineup in the in the competition, I feel like if we on our day we could beat anyone mm-hmm. that, that we come up against. There's no fear there. It, it feels like a lineup that gets the job done, and that's what New Zealand sides have done so well in tournament play. Is they've done enough to win every game. They find a way, like they did against Australia at Eden Park in 2015. You know, when there's close games of cricket, New Zealand do enough to get themselves to the knockout stages in pretty much every tournament you know you guys have played in from a white ball perspective over the last 10, 12 years. Yeah, and I think that's when you look at the actual balance of the side, we've talked quite a lot in recent months, I guess, even this past sort of whole year really for New Zealand. It seems like the main focus has been about rotation and building up that depth and playing, you know, one rotation, one giving guys opportunities to play and earn money around the world. And mm-hmm. that actually, like, it, that is that is a big deal for New Zealand because of the way that our contract structures are, are focused on. And actually, the the other one has been building this depth and and also giving guys opportunities to take breaks. But while they've been doing all those things, I don't think the roles of anybody has changed. So you know, while we've played so many different players, and now we're going into a Bangladesh series, which sees I think only five players from the World Cup squad actually playing in in you know what is our lead into the World Cup tournament. Everyone that goes there and everyone that's coming back into the squad knows what they're supposed to do, and I think that's a, a as much as I don't you know I do have slight concerns that we haven't really had this core together in a in a sequence of games. But I think that the fact that everyone knows what they're doing is a big positive for New Zealand. Just on that, can I maybe put a shadow of doubt there around roles and things like that, is that we don't actually know what our final 15 is. We have some serious injury concerns with uh, Kane Williamson coming back from his knee and Tim Southey now having surgery, I believe, tomorrow yeah. on his hand with every chance he could make it back in time. But who knows what happens? How does that... If those are two integral parts of our team, does that not change roles and make things a bit more difficult? I, I think for the I think for Kane, the indication that I'm getting now, and from what Binksy said before, I hadn't heard that interview before, but they keep talking about you know will he be fit for game one, which makes me think if he's not fit for game one, he's going to be fit relatively soon after, and you know even if he's not fit, then. We kind of know, okay, well, that means someone slots in at three, but everyone else kind of stays the same, or Mitchell goes up, or whatever. We do have batting, one batting cover, and Kane will be there soon. So I think for Kane, as long as he's back, you know, after game one or two, then that's not too bad. The thing is that if you're carrying Kane and you're not sure exactly when he's coming back, I don't think you can afford to carry Southie mm-hmm. if he is not fit or going to be close to fit for game one. Because then your squad is essentially 13 players going into the first two or three games potentially. And there's every chance that someone's going to stiffen up on a flight or you could go down with, you know, anything on the morning of a game that puts you in jeopardy of having to play one of those guys when they're not ready, right? Yeah. Or you want to give opponents different looks. And I think one of New Zealand's strengths is they are actually able to adjust subtly the balance of their side to give them an extra spinner if you want to take Santner and Sodi and somebody else. You know, New Zealand have a lot of options through the strength of their bowling all-rounders in particular that they can throw different looks at their side without having to drastically change the look of their of their 11. And and as much as I hate the whole rest and rotation thing, with nine round-robin games, you're just going to need 
to switch out players mm. to rest them as well to manage. You're going to need to throw different looks at different yeah. opposition. Yeah, and we've only got four seamers in the lineup at, at the moment. So you know the the guys in there are Bolt, Henry, Southey, Ferguson at the moment. You take you know you take Southey out, and those three, and we've seen what you know we've seen Ferguson have troubles with injuries in the past. Milne, if they bring it, him yeah, yeah. I I think that you know I mean I don't know the the latest press release we obviously got from New Zealand cricket has come through and sort of said that Southey's going to have the surgery and it's basically going to be pain management from there. If the surgery goes well, can he manage the pain because? it's going to hurt for him for the rest of the, you know, like it, it's not an injury that he's going to be able to be pain-free in mm-hmm. two weeks' time. Yeah, I, I guess the other element is I'm not 100% on the, the rules there, but he's not going to be allowed a subfielder, is he, if he's carrying that no, going, into, so. going into the game. He's going to have to stay on the, the park or, you know, feign a hamstring or whatever to go off if he, if he does want to uh, burgle his way out of, out of fielding. Yeah, and if you want to get someone else in, you've got to replace them for the whole tournament. So, yeah. look, I think if Milne gets through this series against Bangladesh, he's certainly, if I was running the squad, he'd be the one that's over there covering. He'd be on, you know, he'd be with that squad at all times, basically, for if we need to release Southie and, and just pick him outright, or if, mm. or if something happens and he needs to come in. Lippy, I'm sure you've got more notes and I don't know whether you've planned for, for this question and, and maybe for Raj as well. How much do you think in terms of going with Kane in the squad, you looked at your schedule? So you obviously play England first up and then look, Bangladesh, uh, Netherlands and Afghanistan are your next three games. So uh, look, that, we've seen plenty of upsets at World Cups, um, Ireland, the Netherlands, um, you know, in recent times. So you can't really underestimate anybody. But do you think New Zealand took any, any of that into account and thought, you know what, we're probably four games deep before we might need to, to put Kane into a must win or a, a bigger game? Was that, was that a factor, do you think, in the planning? I don't know that it was a. I don't know that it would have been a factor, but I. I mean, I think they would have looked at everything, right? And I think they would have gone, well, this. Yeah, this England game, as you say, this England game is going to be big, very important, and then these next three games, we would hope that at worst we're three and one after those those mm-hmm. that run of four games. If we're not, then I think there are concerns for the rest of our tournament anyway. And and this is the thing, you know, we haven't really talked about the format, but when it goes, it goes straight to Super Fours, I believe. It's not going to be easy to make that top four. If you drop a game here or there, you're actually in a little bit of strife and you might have to rely on run rates, mm-hmm. etc. like that. So while that is important for New Zealand, yep. I don't think they can factor you know, losing games. I think that's something that's really important. You've got to try and win, really, really win every game. Yeah, well, I mean, I, look, I looked at 2019. India had seven. India and Australia had seven wins out of nine. England had six and New Zealand and Pakistan had five and it was run rate that got New Zealand into yeah. that semi-final and obviously into that final ultimately. So, yeah, look, I would say you probably, the way that these sides line up look to me, it looks, you know, they're a very sort of, uh, without going too too far ahead in terms of predictions, I think there's a big middle pack that can all kind of yeah. fight for some of those semi-final spots. So I would say six, five or six wins is what you're going to need at, at a minimum again to get in. I think six will get you there five is sort of on that fringes again so you know that i'm sure they've looked at all of that you know i'm all of these teams i would hope have looked at all these things and gone look we're playing this team at this venue these are the games we need to target to absolutely kind of nail down our spots awesome so other than past performance being a predictor of future success is your your major <laughs> reason for why new zealand will go well any other things you want to cover off there or, or are we on to the threats for new zealand do you think 
I, th- I mean, look, I, I think our bowling lineups are very settled. I, I don't think we need to go in that ter- in terms of that too much. I, I'm happy to kind of talk about the threats, and I think for New Zealand, really, the you know we've touched on it a little bit. I think that New Zealand's biggest challenge is going to be once things get up there in terms of the runs. Like, yes, we have all these structured uh, performers, we have all these fixed roles that everyone can kind of play. The one role that I think we're quite light on is the the guys that can take you from 260 to 360 because I don't really see that too many of those guys when you look through the New Zealand lineup and Phillips is, is obviously the key one but Nisham and Nisham is another that people point to but I don't know that Nisham's going to be in many of these lineups when yeah. you know when you kind of run through the side so I think that yeah really kind of the the finisher role and what New Zealand makes of that role is probably our challenge and New Zealand's going to have to I think restrict teams to under 300 I mean you just look at this England series that we just played basically if we were able to keep England under 300 we were very very competitive if England got over 300 we were almost up against it right from the start mm. and put put ourselves under pressure and then suddenly you know the game gets yeah. away on you quite quickly we've got a challenge on each side of the ball there and the first one there with the bat is as you mentioned with our non-selection of uh, for now on, we're definitely looking at setting a platform and shooting for that 50th yeah. over. Mm. Uh, we're not going to go out hard at the at the start of the innings. That by all sort of that's what it looks like. And then the other side of the ball, we talked about this a couple of episodes ago, maybe last week. Finding that last 10 overs from our, our mm-hmm. fifth and sixth bowler yeah. mm. is going to be pivotal for New Zealand, and if they win games, awesome. We'll come on to predictions later, so we're not going to uh, do that in the first half of this preview show. I think um, let's go to the hosts next, shall we? Uh, so uh, India hosting the tournament, as we've said, starting on the 5th of October. We've talked a lot about their embarrassment of riches, Raj. Mm. Um, you've previewed the, the Indian side. So why is it going to go well for them um, being at home, controlling the schedule and the pitches and the travel <laughs> and all that kind of stuff? And, and what might go wrong? Yeah, well, good. Thanks for that, that lead-in. Um, I... Uh, <laughs> I think it comes down to, I've found three points as to why it's going to go well for India. One, you mentioned it, they're at home, right? What better place to play than at home? Their last World Cup win, 2011, was where? At home? At home. At home. (laughs) Uh, The team looked very different. They had some real all-timers in that team. Uh, But you cannot take away the fact that home teams have gone very well in a lot of World Cup, definitely the recent ones, mm-hmm. 2015, 2019, and perhaps 2023. Mm. A bold prediction if ever yes, I heard one. Yes, um, squad depth. While that is – actually, I'll come back to that. Let me just while, go – While you're on there, yeah, how, like, while we're on being at home, I, I yes, you, you make incredibly good points about all these sides that have won – uh, at home and I think if you even look further back those numbers are it will back you up as well but what do you think about managing those expectations because they are going to be absolutely astronomical for this Indian side and you know one sort of slip up they've got an India-Pakistan game quite early on in that tournament if things don't go well you know how, how much do you think they're actually kind of thinking about and managing that and sort of embracing it I think because when from from a New Zealand point of view, New Zealand certainly tried to embrace playing at home. In India, sometimes it can feel like they're sort of having to block out the noise rather than rather than really embracing it. I think that India will be one of the best team, if not the best team, at blocking out that external noise. They play a lot of games, IPL, uh, 
shorter form sort of 2020 games where the the hype surrounding those games is absolutely astronomical mm. it's not something new to them uh, I think that if any team can deal with it it is this team mm. uh, it's also a 50 over it's a shorter sorry a longer format game it lets them get themselves into the game they don't have to go bash right from ball one they can warm themselves into it and still score 400 mm-hmm. um, so yeah I think they'll be able to deal with that but I do think that will be a factor when it comes to later in the tournament. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it won't really affect them, you know, in getting, the group, in the group yeah, stages, getting yeah. to the deeper parts of the tournament. Mm. And we and we interrupted you there. Second point that you wanted to make about the positives for India? The positives for India is that you go through that lineup and they have some of the best players in the world in every facet of the game. The batsmen, the bowlers, the all-rounders. A lot of their players would walk into any team that is in this World Cup. But... That is actually a little bit of their Achilles heel as well. Uh, you know, you talked about their biggest threats, and I've got here one. Their one biggest threat that I'm going to highlight is the selectors. Hmm. I think it's a massive threat for them. And in a long-form tournament with nine round-robin games, I think the cream will rise to the top, but they don't have to do anything fancy. They just have to pick 11 good players every game for each game that they're, they're playing, but... I can see some hurdles when it comes to picking those 11 players. We've seen it before. Mm. Yeah. Look, I guess the good thing and the the positive spin on that is they can only pick from 15. Um, Obviously, you know, over the course last two or three years, they've seemed to be able to pick a almost a third string team for some of the white ball stuff. And still you're looking down the the scorecard and, you know, seeing Sky come into bat or uh, Coley or Kishan or whoever you want to name that there's, there's always that box office player. Whereas, Yes, they're going to have their 15 box office players, but, mm. um, you know, take away the fact that you're probably going to carry, a, you know, a spare seamer and a spare batter and someone else who can keep wicket, you know, straight away that probably makes their permutations a little bit easier uh, with a smaller squad. It's not like, you know, a bilateral series at home where they can call whoever they like in at any point. Um, so, that, yeah, it might help them a little bit throughout the course. I of do feel like, and I'll just look at the 1 to 11 here in a second, and I do think that when we start looking at data-driven decisions, that's when those permutations come into it. They go, oh, okay, we've got Trent Bolt coming in, swinging it in. We want to pick Cal Rahul at the top of the order because he's better around his front pad. I've just made that up. But rather <laughs> than just picking Rohit Sharma and Shimon Gill, who are your openers for the whole tournament, um, sometimes we might see yeah. some something fancy like mm. that. So with, with their 1-11, I think it's pretty stock standard, except for when you get to the, the 4 and the 8. So at four, you've got uh, Kao Rahul and um, Shreyas Iyer fighting out for that number four spot. Iyer was told that he was going to have a bit of a longer run. Worst time in the world to have some back spasms. And Kao Rahul came in and scored that great 100 in the Asia Cup. And all of a sudden, he's now going to be leading them, I believe, in the tournament against the yes. warm-up. The warm-ups against Australia ODIs. as well, okay. the ODIs. So that makes uh, Shreya Sire's job a bit harder as well. And then just we'll get back, we'll continue on those in a second, but just with the eight, you've got the likes of Aksha Patel, Mohamed Shami, Shadul Takua, and I've, I've left in there Ravi Chand and Ashwins because I don't know if they will end up picking him in their 15. Well, Aksha's got a... Little niggle, isn't he? Yeah. So, yeah, whether he's fit for the, so for the tournament. Those are the only real permutations there. I think the other nine are sort of locked in, but that's actually an, uh, an embarrassment of riches. Those players would play in almost, almost any other team that they came across, but there are some some stumbling blocks there for selectors. Do you, do you think there are going to be many, uh, so if you sort of alluded to it possibly a little bit there, but do you think how many lineups do you think will go with only the two seamers and 
Hardik because uh, they've just got, yeah, like you say, so many, you know, we're probably going to have Cool Deep, we're going to have Ravi Jadeja, and I, I would say both of those guys are going to be in, in every single lineup and, you know, barring injury. Then you can have an Akshar as well in there. Like, I think that there's a very good chance that they go with those three spinners quite regularly if they're going to be playing on pitches and, and you know, you've, then you've got Bumra, Siraj, Hardik. It's a very, very well-balanced lineup, and still having those three seamers, three spinners. I think it'll be different early in the tournament to late in the tournament. I think, um, you know, we long talk about you know India and, and the subcontinent as being somewhere that you're going to play three or four spin options in your side. I don't think we might we will see that. We've seen even in the IPL, there's been grounds that have been absolutely pick a seam attack. Yeah, yeah. Um, so. Um, I think as well there's a lot of venues so you know the the kind of pitch where the squares tend to be smaller in India than they might be in um, in the UK for example so I think it, it probably plays into later in the tournament at some of the venues that have played multiple games you might see a bit more spin coming in but I, I don't think it's as simple as saying that that's the uh, that's the route that they'll go I, I think you will actually see early in the tournament um, probably a, a bit of analysis around those grounds and India will have probably been able to do that better than um, you know, then the, the other teams leading in and looking at what those conditions might be at some of those grounds. Again, all feeding back into that home advantage that, that Raj highlighted. For my key performers, I have the new ball attack. Uh, you mentioned the, the seamers there. I think no matter which spinners they pick, I think that they're going to perform. They're going to go well uh, at home. The batsmen are going to put 300 up almost every time. If that new ball attack can actually take two or three wickets in the first 10 mm. overs yeah. it's over most of the time uh, you saw what they did to Sri Lanka in the Asia Cup yeah. final mm-hmm. uh, that was that was that was very devastating that was an incredible new ball attack uh, with Siraj and and uh, the like there was Bumrah I think as well um, they are my key yeah. if, if they bowl well first up they win win games and they bowl, sorry do they bowl so well in partnership those two at the top they they really make life very very hard and they make good top order batters look pretty silly early doors and i think you've got to be super encouraged as well if you're thinking about Bumrah coming back from the you know his long injury yeah. you know run and seeing him bowl in that asia cup like you know like i didn't watch every single ball of that tournament but every single one i did see of him bowling seems like he's hooping at a mile mm. which yeah massively encouraging for for what he can do because if he can come in and be swinging it as well and like you say nip off a couple mm. then they can just put the squeeze on and it's and it's curtains any closing points on any of you got to all of your yeah all of your why it'll go well and why it won't yep no i've got to it i'll just say they are a good team <laughs> finish it with that awesome um Let's carry on in this direction and we'll yeah, come to Australia last ball day. Fair enough. Um, I'm trying to think of a way to do it. So. No, that's um, fine. England, uh, some conjecture, but they are technically the holders of the trophy, I know. Uh, certainly the engravers uh, would, would, would tell yeah. you that and the little shirt um, decal with the, with the trophy on. Um, what will go well, I think, for England, they've had a little bit of turmoil leading into the start of the the tournament, uh, particularly, I think, around the way they communicated the selection of the squad. So um, you've got the head selector, Luke Wright, uh, saying that, you know, the squad that was named for that New Zealand series was the World Cup squad. You've then got Matthew Mott, the coach, and Josh Butler, 
captain saying, well, that's not strictly true, um, which has then you know, obviously led into the fact that they've left out Jason, uh, Jason Roy. Um, and I think that that's why it will go well for England um, in, a, in a bizarre way. They have made a very, very difficult call to leave out a guy that has scored 200 in his last six uh, games in, the, in this format, um, who was obviously pivotal in that, uh, in that tournament back in, in England in 2019. But they're committed, I think, England, to the research that they've done and the permutations that they want to go in. They haven't gone with, we've got this emerging talent in Harry Brook. We need to get him in at all costs. We're going to upset the balance of the side in order to do that and maybe drop one of the all-rounders or the mm-hmm. uh, the seeming options. They've made, for me, what what is the difficult uh, the difficult call. Do you, so- do you think that, that um, like you said, that it was sort of the communication was a bit off? Do you think that the players were disrupted by that and also do you think that the players didn't kind of know that like you know sometimes what you say what people say to the media and what people say uh, to the players is very different I would have thought for um, the way that a lot of these squads are being operated they're telling the players something different than they're certainly projecting to the media or do you think that it was as simple as we think we've got our squad and then they actually did cut Roy at the last minute and he would have been taken by surprise by that Look, it's really difficult to tell what conversations have gone on behind closed doors. But mm. I, I guess ultimately the, the problem with this was they'd named a provisional squad and then they've got a series against Ireland, which comes too late to actually name the full squad. They couldn't yeah, have waited yeah. right till the end of that uh, three-game series. And and really, what would we have learned from that aside from fitness? Um, mm. If Jason Roy had gone out and bashed 200s, um, we'd have been saying, well, it's against Ireland who haven't even qualified for the tournament. And I say that with all due respect, you know, that they've been a fantastic white ball side at times, Ireland. But yeah. um, so I, I don't think it would have been a form thing. And then I think they've maybe looked at it again from a, you know, from a fitness perspective, small squad. Um, and then look, when you actually look at the nuts and bolts of it, Jason Roy's opened the batting um, for the last seven or eight years of one day international cricket for England that's the only spot he really bats Mm. Um, he's not going to come in at four and five and be able to adapt to a role that he's not played before Um, and I think they think that Harry Brook has got the ability to cover four or five positions within that top order um, Jason Roy hasn't, so mm. th- then it becomes a really, really simple choice for for the way that they're gonna they're gonna that go. That was that was the comment that was made when they changed the selection. Yeah. The comment was made that that Jason Roy is an opening bat, and that we feel that Harry Brook can cover positions one through six. And in in a squad where you've only probably got one piece of batting cover, really, then that's the way they've gone. So there has been a lot of turmoil that we've talked about there, but I think the squad Joe Root's in there, right, and Ben Stokes is in there along with the plethora of others there's enough experience there to now just absolutely have a laser focus about playing simple and winning games right yeah look absolutely so i think um i've kind of written down what i think is that the side that's going to play and if i kind of go down it and and pick out Bairstow, root stokes marinale joss butler chris wokes adil rashid mark wood um, that's eight guys who've got one thing in common. They all played in 2019. Um, that's a pretty decent nucleus of a side. And then when you add in um, some of the guys that are, you know have come into that mix, um, Liam Livingston uh, has come in, Sam Curran has impressed, particularly at that T20 World Cup. Um, David Willey, who was actually left out on the eve of the tournament. Um, mm. A little bit of uh, irony that, you know, Alanis Morissette might squeeze into a reissue. You've got Willie and Archer <laughs> on that uh, tour. Isn't that ironic? Um, the other way around this time. So, um, I, yeah, look, I absolutely think when you look down that lineup, they've got, 
got a lot of experience. Um, they're being called Dad's Army. I think the average age of the size, something like 32. But I think, you know, leading into a ODI versus a T20 World Cup, I don't necessarily think that's a, a bad thing. And coming back to, you know, why I think England could go well is that, you know, that combination of all-rounders that they've got, uh, Moen Ali, Liam Livingston, Sam Curran, Chris Wokes, David Willey as well. And they've got lots of options there with both um, spin away from the bat and into the bat, left arm seam, um, and then some, you know, some some pace on the bench as well with Gus Atkinson. So I think they've got some really, really good, uh, really good combinations there as well. Where does that deal Rashid bet in your lineup? Uh, I think he probably ends up batting number number ten. Because yeah, I need to apologise to him from the last. The la- I've referred to him as a real tail ender, but he's got 10 first class hundreds. Yeah. <laughs> Done a little bit of research. It's not a bad person to have at number 10. Yeah. yeah they're going to have a stacked lineup. Yeah. The way the way they construct their side, they're going to have, yeah. you know, uh, look, quality uh, up and down that order. Uh, absolutely. So, yeah, I think the way I've got it is uh, probably Curran is carded to, to bat number eight, Wokes number nine, Rashid number 10, and then probably Atkinson or Wood at, um, at 11 if they go in with that, mm. um, with that. That sort of well, and if they yeah, and if they don't, if they change one of those quicks for for David Willey or something, then they get their batting. Yeah, batting goes even better. So yeah, there's there's plenty of skill up and down that lineup. What about uh, what about Root? Because we over the past twelve months, two years, three years, have always. I think every time I watch Joe Root, there's never been a moment until these three ODIs against New Zealand or four ODIs or whatever it was against New Zealand where I've looked at him and gone he's out of form he always looks in form he always looks absolute class these games he really struggled he's now said can I please play against Ireland from the sounds of things because I just want to try and get myself back into form any worries because he is like despite the order you know the quality that's up and down that lineup, I think he's still a very important cog like if he has a terrible tournament over in in India I think in England will struggle just because he's that rock, isn't he? Like Kane, like few, you know, like Steve Smith can be for Australia. That kind of, you know, manage Coley at Barbara's arm. These guys that actually can anchor your innings, and everyone else can play around them, play the innings they need. So, are you worried about Root in, in any way? Yeah. So, one international begins in a couple of hours' time in Leeds against Ireland. Joe Root uh, will score a hundred. Um, <laughs> And look, even if he doesn't, um, you, you said it in your preamble, Lippy. Um, form and 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 class, uh, you know, are different things. And, and form is is temporary, and class is permanent. It's a long tournament. He's got some time to get into his work. I I, I don't think I would be concerned one bit. Um, I also think he, he gives us a little bit of an option with the ball as well. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, um, yeah, I'm not. I'm absolutely not fussed about uh, about that um, from a, from an Englishman's perspective. He'll come. He'll come good when it matters. I reckon he's going to be integral. He's one of those players that he's in, and then 45 minutes later, he's 39 from 38 <laughs> mm. or whatever. All of a sudden, he's built an and and it and it just allows you know Butler, Stokes, Bearstow that much more freedom when Joe Root's at the other end because all three of them can go well. I can really go. Ha- I can really go for it here, yeah. and I, I know I've got Joe at the other end. The, the exciting thing for England fans is they've also got Milan, and you know it almost seems an embarrassment of of players who can play multiple roles. Milan can score quickly, but Milan can also bat for forty five overs if he needs to at one end, and Stokes can do the same. And 
you know, it, it's one of those things where you look at that England side and you just can't help getting a feeling of, like, this isn't going to be an exciting team to watch if you're a neutral. I mean, don't get anything wrong. I'd, you want to see us get our asses under yeah, us. If yeah. I could, yeah. <laughs> but, but that's only because it's Australia v England and it's little brother v big brother. But it, it is just as a neutral, it is so exciting to look up and down that lineup as it is looking up and down the India lineup. And just these guys are going to be so, so much fun to watch play together. How, how could that actually go wrong then for England? Because, I, yeah, when we think about it, there aren't many holes in that in the, that squad. Great question. Glad you asked. Um, so yeah, look, I think in, in terms of uh, in terms of England's biggest threat, I, th- I think there's a couple of components for me. Um, so, so number one is we have gone in quite light from a batting perspective because of the way that we want to squeeze four or five all rounders into that squad. So I think um, what that does mean is if we do have an injury or we do have, uh, and when I say an injury, it might just be a you know, a dodgy digit that keeps you out for a couple of games, but you're not going to replace someone. It means that we've got to probably go in with some permutations and and fill a gap with uh, something that wouldn't be the plan going into the tournament without really um, lots and lots of batting cover in the squad. Mm. So a batting injury or or, or a loss of form, I think, upsets the balance and changes the way that England need to play their combinations. And then the second thing I've got, and, and look, this applies, I think, to all of the teams in the tournament, Um, but I think specifically it applies to England for these reasons, is that we play across nine different venues and we have got, um, as I said, the average age of the side, somewhere near 32. Mark Wood has had his injury problems. Chris Wokes has had his injury problems. Um, Sam Curran has had his injury problems. Um, Even the likes of Liam Livingston with a broken ankle. Um, Obviously Stokes, um, Bairstow. Um, and then we've got Jofra Archer as a travelling reserve there. You know, I don't know under what circumstances a guy that's not played a game of cricket for two years is going to come into a must-win game in a white ball tournament. But um, we've got some issues, I think, around that, you know, just soreness and stiffness. Reese Topley, six foot six. He's not going to look great in economy, is he? Um, with his, you know, legs jammed under a tray table. So that for me is being able to get enough rest and recovery into their bowling attack throughout the course of the tournament is is the biggest uh, the biggest threat for me. Just focusing on the Kiwi aspect of your team, Ben Stokes. Uh, his health, you know, over the last sort of five years, a bit longer, has been quite up and down. How, how is he going into this tournament? See, I know you're not his physio, but yeah. <laughs> from what you've seen and heard, how is he looking from a restrictions point of view? Is he going to be able to bowl fully if he wants to? Is he going to be able to bat up the order? Look, all the rhetoric, and I think if you look at the way that they've, uh, certainly the way the media's portrayed the squad selection, there's no chance that he bowls. But then there was no chance that he bowled a 13-over spell in the first game of the Ashes series either. Um, You know, there was no chance that he bowled at the IPL. Um, There's every chance that he's our premier off spinner. (laughs) Like, you you cannot write anything off with with Ben Stokes. Um, I, I don't think, you know they're going in there with a the view that he will he will bowl but i can just see a situation where it's you know very very nip and tuck and all of a sudden i don't think you're going to get the ball out of his hand um if he yeah if he really thinks he can come in and impact the game and he's great mates with with joss butler um and i think it'd be fair to say this is probably their final 50 over um world cup certainly that you know Bearstow, root stokes butler uh, Wokes and Wood, you know that you know they're probably not going to play t- together again. So yeah, who knows what might happen throughout the course of the tournament? You throw Moali in there as well. 
Alamalale? No, Mo Ali. Oh, Mo Ali. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I didn't, didn't realise Alamalale. He's Australian, isn't no, he? No, he's not playing in this World no, Cup. No. But Mo Ali is. He's he's quite old too. Yeah, he is, absolutely. Mm. And Rashid as well for that for that, uh, for that that matter. And David Milan. So, mm. yeah, none of them are going to be there next time around. 15 uh, Australians, though. Yeah. They're, they're, they're going to be there. Let's move on to which, Australia. Which 15 Australians <laughs> yeah. will be there is probably the, the main place for, for Baldy maybe to start. Mad, Madge, Harold, Scott and Charlene, I think. Yeah. <laughs> I spent a long time in the Hundred Acre Wood preparing for <laughs> this, for this, because I, I did go to a very Eorish place um, in the last week or so. I was I was very tiggerish after the the T20 series against South Africa, um, two ODIs in, and, and it was all you know, it was all tickety boo and and bouncing around. Mm. Um, found the honey pot. Uh, found the honey pot, looking for the blue balloon. Um, we need but, some subtitles for those it, who are it, not like not from parents. the southern Sorry. southern hemisphere. Um, but yes, so the wheels have come off a little bit in the, in the last week for Australia. I mean, we were always, let, let's start with the positive, right? Let's let's do the classic performance review. We'll start with the good, we'll then go to the bad, and then we'll finish on something good again. So okay, we'll, we'll, so do, the, shit we'll, do, the, we'll yeah. do the poo sandwich, right. Okay, so Mitchell Marsh is in terrific form again, as he was when we won the T20 World Cup. So... If Australia are going to go well in that tournament, Mitchell Marsh needs to continue to have um, big, impactful innings at the top of the order for Australia. Whether he opens or he bats number three, Mitchell Marsh is going to be a key cog in this Australian side. And he's going to need to be. Um, the The other reason I think Australia will go well is that if it is a seeming type of tournament, particularly early on, Mitchell Stark is one of the best, if not the best, new ball, front line, first, second over bowlers in world cricket with a white ball. And we've seen that in multiple World Cups. So if Australia are going to go well, those two in particular will have to stand up very big and tall for Australia at the beginning of innings. Um, if you have a look at the other side of the coin, if we go into the eerish gloomy places, Australia and Quick Info did some stats this week. Australia's middle order batting, other than the kind of minor countries that we don't expect to feature well, worst in the tournament um, from an average and a strike rate perspective, and Australia's death bowling, worst in the tournament. So in the middle of innings and the back end of innings, Australia have over the last few years, particularly since 2019, struggled mightily. And we saw that in South Africa. So um, in the you last- did. You in, very much did. In the last three ODIs where Australia got absolutely hosed, Heinrich Klaassen in particular, but many of the South African batters took Australia to cleaners. Now, admittedly, Hazelwood played sporadically, Stark and Cummins didn't play, but Adam Zampa did, and Adam Zampa went for a McLewis and went for 113 <laughs> and 10 overs. So all of these things are adding up to concerning lead-up points for the Australians. Wasn't this the same at the 2020 World Cup, though? It, look, it is, and that's and that's why I continue to be a little bit tiggerish about the Australian team, because even though all these things are seeming to go wrong, lots and lots of players are seemingly injured, it all came together wonderfully for Australia in the T20 World Cup, and I have a, a a little bit of optimism in my otherwise, you know, traditionally pessimistic Australian view that it will come together for Australia when it matters. But if you take if you take the results, the African results, they're out of it, and you look at the elements of that team, mm. you've got to be very tiggerish. Oh, absolutely, very, and very uh, and and the thing that gives me hope is Australia beat India in India this year. And, and play some really, really good cricket in that span. Travis Head was fantastic. Australia played really, really well at the top of the order in that series. And we beat a good Indian side, even though they were without a couple of their stars. They were without Boomer and, and so forth. So Australia, despite having struggled against South Africa in South Africa in some spinning conditions, I still think have got a formula for success. 
but they're going to need the players that come into the side, Maxwell, Smith, Stark, Cummins, etc., to come in in form and to provide a real impetus to that middle order, which other than Manus and one innings from Ashton Agar, Australia really have lacked over the last six to 12 months. And, and obviously it's a bit of a guesswork because we're still, we're recording this on whatever it is, the 20th, 21st or whatever it is today of, mm-hmm. of uh, September. So we're still a couple of weeks out from the tournament. Are we getting any whispers about any of those players that might not be fit? Travis Head's injury doesn't sound great. I'd be My concern c- is Travis Head's hand injury. Yeah. Sounds like it's a, you know, it's a pretty serious break. Yeah. And having been through that injury myself, it is not a, you know, you have an operation, you put a pin in, and two weeks later you're sort of right to go. Mm. Um, you do experience a lot of scar tissue and with, with a broken hand, and it's and it's one of those areas where you've got a lot of you know minute movements and so forth. So, and and also impact pain is is quite significant. You know, with with a hand injury. So, the the Travis head injury is is the most concern for me. Maxwell is always was also a little bit concerning in that he hasn't really yet fully come right from that tr- that horrific broken leg that he suffered mm. um, almost 18 months ago now. Or yeah, maybe yeah. It feels like that anyway. Um, so those are the two that are a little bit concerning. All the other guys having, have, have um, little niggles. So in the first choice Australian 11, Head, Smith, Maxwell, Green with concussion, Stark, who probably will be fine, Cummins and Agar, who probably isn't in the first choice 11 in most scenarios, but if Australia choose to play two spinners, he certainly will be. Mm. They all have injury concerns um, to a greater or lesser extent. My only tiggerish moment in terms of the Travis Head injury is that I really like Matthew Short coming in as a substitute. If that's the substitute you we think have... it would be him? Surely Manus gets the, the nod I, after, I think, after what he's done? I think in... In the balance of reality, it will be Manus. But if they pick a top-order player and they want to pick a like-for-like top-order batter, they might look at um, short. But it'd be hard-pressed now that Manus has come in as the concussion and got 100 and got an 80 and and looked really, really good. The only concern there is do you have too many like-for-like middle-order players in Smith and Manus for for Australia in that middle order? If if Head doesn't play, Mm -hmm. does that force the hand a little bit with Agar that he must play? Look, I don't think so. Um, Australia probably wanted to have three different looks at this World Cup in different conditions, so I think they probably wanted to have an eight-batter look where they had four all-rounders from whom they had to get 20 overs. That, to me, is concerning, but that's Australia have come out and said that they wanted to have a look that, that had eight batters in it, mm-hmm. and then they wanted to have a look that had two spinners and two seamers, which probably would have been Stark, Cummins, Zampa and Agar, so Agar would have batted at eight in that scenario, and then a three-seamer, three one-spinner scenario where you don't play Agar and you play Adam Zampa. So, yes, Travis Head's spin would have been important, but I don't think it was essential. I think what, what we need is we need Cameron Green and we need Stoinis and we need Marsh mm. to be economical and not go for big runs because Australia at, at the death have been really, really poor. Stoinis has actually been all right up the top, mm. but we've got Stark and Cummins and mm. Hazelwood to bowl at the top. I don't think he's going to usurp those guys. So uh, to me, the, the death bowling is really, really concerning. We've kind of left out our best death bowler too in Nathan Ellis. Like, Sean Abbott is good, but Nathan Ellis is probably the de- best death bowler in that group in my view, and we've left him out of the squad altogether. So, you know, that, that's that's the concern as far as bowling goes. To come back to Manus, 
his it seems like he plays his best cricket as a concussion substitute. I'm not I'm not <laughs> trying to be flippant, but he came in in placement for Smith in the Ashes, did very very well. He's come in as a concussion substitute in the last South African series and done very very well. So as long as you tell Manus before he goes out to bat that you're going out as a concussion substitute, he'll be totally fine. Does that mean he's going to go to to Victoria and just sort of wait for Pukowski? Uh, that's a, I'm not sure I'm ready to have that um, no, have that conversation yet. No, 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 no. Um, he's been out for some time. I feel for that man. He's, Can we move on? He's back now, actually, isn't he? I think, I think he's playing some cricket. Yeah, yeah but w- w- remains to be seen. Border, you've covered a lot in your yeah your notes there. I think again in your typical style, you you you're kind of focusing a little bit on some of the negative components. <laughs> You've got to be pretty happy with, you know, with the with the quality that you've got. Where where are the where are the things that you are really really bullish? Oh, I'm so excited about Mitchell Marsh. Yeah, like, I, I, honestly, I think if if he continues to to continue his run of form, I've phrased that really badly. But if he continues to play in the form that yeah. he's in now, he could be one of the players of the tournament, and Australia could be on the back of you know several big scores from Mitchell Marsh at the top of the order. No one is hitting the ball more powerfully than him in world cricket at the moment probably Daryl Mitchell's up there but yeah true but Clarkson might have a case for look Mitchell Marsh (laughs) write it down fact he's going to be awesome and I'm super excited about him one of the things that concerns me is if I was an Australian so I'll put my Australian hat on here is um, sorry about that 2015 uh, there was that when they played New Zealand in the in the pool games Mm -hmm. there was a absolute um, capitulation of the of the batting line. I can see that happening with this batting lineup yep. as well. Uh, it, it, and it has been. So one of the things I looked at was how many times over the last 12 months of Australia really lost wickets in clumps in ODIs, and they've done it in the South Africa series as well. Even when they made that big sort of 300 score, they lost 5 for 40, I think, at the back end of that inning. So, and, and a lot of that, look, I don't want to point out Marcus Stoinis's lack of form, but he's averaged 16. In, in recent times, it, it has been really, really lean pickings from him. He hasn't reached 50 for like three or four years in an ODI. Yeah. So like his his form as one of the key cogs that helps Australia explode in the later overs has been poor. Alex Carey is a very, very good cricketer. We saw him get 99 in the South Africa series. But is he the guy who's going to get 80 off 30 balls? I'm not not sure that he's that guy, right? So so that finishing for Australia is 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 problematic if if someone like Stoinis th- doesn't come off on a regular basis. To take a basketball monster look at that, mm-hmm. that's a usage issue, though, isn't it? They're not being put in positions where they can have major impacts a lot of the time. Some sometimes it's a usage issue, but I also think that Marcus Stoinis is out of form. User error, um, and and it could be that he actually just is out of form. And I would I would not have him in Australia's first choice eleven at the moment, which is problematic because then he sits on the bench and then what does he do? Yeah. Uh, then he has to come in for as a replacement. And, and Green's your premier all-rounder in that scenario. Oh, I think so at the moment. Yeah. And, and even he's not in the best of form and he's coming back from a concussion. So there are lots and lots yeah. of questions. Have they nailed Cam Green's role as well with the bat? Not really. No. No, not really. Um, he, he has done the job in India, yeah. which is the, a good thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He, he, has, he has played well in India. All right. Lots of questions. Lots, lots of, of questions. Lots of questions. Lots of questions all round on those four sides. Just to reiterate, not the four sides we think um, are going to make the finals necessarily or the it final four, but it might be. Um, <laughs> that question is going to get answered on the next episode of the Top Order Podcast, which will be where we look at the other six teams in the tournament. We pick our 
predictions for the final stages and our eventual winner as well as a few hot takes as well um, but for now it's the end of part one of the top order podcast cricket world cup 23 one day international preview we'll be back with part two in your podcast feed almost immediately so um, don't navigate away from um, itunes or spotify it will be sitting right <laughs> there but for this episode it's good night and god bless from us here in auckland we'll see you in the same clothes for the same continuity <laughs> in about one minute's time good night <laughs>